Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 16. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Well, I'm pleased to have on the show today David Casulo. He's got a passion for developing leaders. He wants leaders who have the courage and capability to change the world. He's currently the president of Bates Communications, and he's the author of Leading the High Energy Culture, What the Best CEOs Do to Create an Atmosphere Where Employees Employees Flourish. Within weeks of its release in March of 2012, the book became, or 2012, sorry, the book became a best-selling book in human resources and leadership on Amazon.com. David's methods ensure that leaders remember what is important by helping clarify values and recommit to behaving consistently in alignment with the who that you are. He has a proven process to clarify organizational values and communicate them effectively in a way that drives growth and top and bottom line results. Prior to joining Bates Communications, David held the Senior Vice President of Human Resources role on the executive team for the rapidly growing Northeast mega retailer Raymore in Flanagan. And David began his career in management in 1984 as a computer operations manager at a large Anheuser-Busch distributor. David, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing great, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Did I hit all the highlights in your bio? Your bio is so long, I didn't know what to include on there. you got a pretty, <laughs> pretty extensive uh, resume there. Yeah, you hit them all, and I appreciate that. It's all in part uh, my experience as a leader and around leaders who have definitely influenced me in ways that have impacted my career and life uh, and have helped me become the person I am. And really, that's the foundation of the book uh, and the foundation for any leader who uh, is um, desirous of developing themselves and figuring out what it is that's really important and leveraging that and acting on that in a way that influences others uh, and ultimately, hopefully, not only changes the organization that they're with in business and makes it more profitable and more successful, uh, but also you know, impacts the people that those people influence in their personal lives and uh, in their professional lives as well, so that it has sort of a residual and compounding exponential effect and ultimately can change the world. Well, so how did you become so passionate about leadership? I mean, you hit some highlights there, but when did it all begin for you? Well, it's interesting. I, I was the youngest of the young generation in my family, and um, I come from a heritage that is Italian on both sides of my family. And my grandfather was, uh, through family folklore, the legendary uh, leader of the of the family. When he was 16 years old, he he ran away from Patrica, Italy, and he came to upstate New York, uh, and uh, it was prohibition time, and he was a bootlegger. Wow! <laughs> yeah, he was a tough guy, yeah. and he was uh, he was determined to make his mark. And uh, long story short, he was so good at what he did that when prohibition was over, he was awarded an Anheuser Busch beer distribution uh, uh, business, and that was in our family for fifty years. Wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. So all of us were raised uh, in the business, and. Uh, I was the youngest of the young generation and always had 
the heart and soul of the business. And, and, in, and frankly, I've, I've learned since my grandfather uh, inside me. Uh, so he was uh, really uh, a premier influence on me and, and a lot of people in our family. And as I progressed throughout, you know, my college and and, uh, uh, and beyond in my early career, I always um, would navigate my way to leadership roles, uh, felt it was important, and felt I had skills and aptitude to uh, to become a, a leader in business, and, and did. And it was a people along the way who helped me and who really impacted me that began to uh, intrigue me. It was... Uh, the practice of leadership, if you will. It was people who were themselves leaders who took an interest in me uh, and were successful not only driving value to the business that I was part of, but also did something that caused um, the energy inside me to resonate. And I really became self, more self-motivated than I would have naturally been because of these people. And I started to get intrigued by that. And over the course of my career, uh, I had the opportunity to uh, study that, to learn more, to try to emulate it, and it created value for the organizations that I led. Uh, And uh, about 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to build a leadership development institute, uh, which was uh, designed to organically grow leaders for a $500 million company. Uh, that we had uh, decided we wanted to continue to grow and ultimately became a billion-dollar-plus company because of the organic leaders that we grew as a result of this program. So that's what really launched me into wanting to help leaders. Uh, And we target leaders in business, Richard, obviously, with the concepts. And our business here at Bates Communication is dedicated to helping leaders develop communication skills that make them more effective uh, and better leaders. Uh, But what really motivates me beyond that is uh, grassroots leaders, people who step up and aren't necessarily the kind you read about in the um, public companies as CEOs or chief executives, but people who step up into leadership roles in society and and have the courage to want to make a difference. Uh, These principles... Uh, when they learn them, uh, gives them a better chance at success. And that's what really fires me up. Yeah, me too. Uh, You said a couple things there that I really appreciate. If I can go back, one is it's amazing the the constant theme I get when I talk to leaders, people that are passionate about leadership. They always talk about that chain, those chain of people and events sometimes, but primarily people who were huge influence to their lives. And you know, you started with your grandfather, that great colorful character. But I think it's so important. It's so in that's why I love the Marine Corps so much. Where I came from, in my started my professional career, is studying the history, studying the almost folklore, if you will, of that past. And it does drive you to want to emulate. I guess is the right word. I don't know if that's the right word or not. But to, to emulate and to maybe carry that legend forward is that right am i do you think that's a part of the reason why people get passionate about leadership is they they appreciate that chain i guess does that make sense yeah it, I, I would say it maybe a little differently but you're right you're right on the mark with your comment what happens is uh as we've learned from our our, our experience and our studies and our research and our, our practice is that you know inside each of us are you know some fundamental truths 
Uh, some people call them values. These are uh, in one form values, but they're actionable, Richard, which means these are these are um, character attributes that you learned through uh, your experience as a young person uh, being influenced by these people that really saw something in you and caused it to sort of resonate. And when um, you have uh, uh, been impacted by someone like that, uh, that has a, a, a long-lasting effect, and other leaders who come along uh, can help to magnify that. And at some point in your life as a leader, uh, you recognize that those truths are so important, important to you, important to what you believe, important to uh, the organization that you lead, the, the people that you're, the teams that you're a part of, uh, that you, you suddenly have the courage and mm. the confidence and the desire uh, to uh, commit yourself uh, to focusing your leadership behaviors, your, your, your brand, if you will, uh, on those truths and, and leveraging those in a way that creates change, not only within the organization, which is valuable, uh, but also in the world. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an inborn uh, set of principles that are there that leaders around you have um, have energized and magnified, ultimately causing you to act on them. Yeah. yeah. The other thing you said, too, that I love is that you're passionate about and you believe strongly that everybody has the ability to think and act like a leader, and, and every opportunity is a leadership opportunity, is it not? I mean, everybody, all of us out there listening – have the potential to impact so many lives, and that's what's important about understanding about leadership, that we all have the have the capability of being leader. Maybe not necessarily a CEO or a C-level leader, but, but you're right. Having the courage at every level to step up and, and be a leader. And I, I like the, and I like the example, if I may, in someone was, um, who was I talking to on the phone, one of my interviews, Oh, I forget it, and forgive me, maybe it was Jim Kuzas who said it, but they gave the example of Rosa Parks when they're talking about courage. And she said, you know, she made the decision based on that principal truth and that core value or that truth to sit there and say, I'm going to sit here today. And she said, you know, you're going to have to leave. And she said, you know, three words, I will not. You know, we're all capable of saying I will not. But it's got to be tied into that that courage piece that you're talking about, tied into your personal truth. Absolutely, it's a, you know it's one of these issues that are debated in in leadership development today. Whether you're born a leader or whether right. uh, anyone can learn to become a leader, uh, I'm with you, Richard. We 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 believe firmly that anyone so so, so disposed can become leaders, and and the reason is consistent with what I described earlier, all of us have personal truths inside us that we believe in uh, that matter to us for a lot of different reasons. Uh, it is the case, then, that if we are um, moved to act on those personal truths, regardless of our leadership style, and you and I both know, even I'm sure from your experience in the military, uh, people who consider themselves introverts by style can also be very powerful leaders, yeah. people who are a few words, uh, but when they say something or do something, people around them are so um, 
uh, moved by them, that they are, they follow them just as they would a, a very charismatic leader. Um, you know, everyone has within them the power to become a leader around what they believe. And that's what's most important, and I'm glad you brought it out in this conversation for your listeners to realize. You, you can, and here's the other, other point, you are obligated once you recognize yeah, that these personal truths are clear and important to you to act on them in a way that makes you a leader within that environment. Yeah, I love that you said that it's an obligation. You're right. Once you understand that, it is an obligation, and we all have an obligation to to exercise that or learn as much as we can what it means to become a leader. Because like it or not, whether you believe it or not or know it or not, we are all we all have a leadership muscle. We are obligated to exercise. I love that you use the word obligation. Absolutely. And 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 the, the, the deeper we get into this, I'm 50 years old now, and um, the more that we help uh, executive leaders in large businesses, Fortune 500 companies, um, recognize uh, the responsibility that they have uh, because of the role that they play, not only within the organization, but these people tend to be um, very highly regarded leaders outside of the organization and in the, in the places where they choose to volunteer, uh, in the places where they spend their time in the media, uh, but even more important and more fundamental uh, within their families, for instance. Yeah, and yeah. one of the uh, uh, you know, amazing things that we've come to recognize, uh, uh, and it's obvious once you hear it, but it, it isn't so obvious until you do hear it, is that it's not so much what you say, and that's ironic because we teach communication, not so much what you say or how you say it that really matters fundamentally, but it's how you behave. Yeah. How you behave. People um, see the who that you are before they hear what you're saying about the who that you are. Right. And if there's an incongruence in the two, then your credibility is diminished. Uh, and that goes for whether you're in front of an audience of a thousand people. Uh, or whether you're, you know, in the lunchroom talking with a group of three people. Your behaviors need to be consistent, and your responsibility to make sure that they're consistent and that you're impacting people every chance you have in the way that drives value, not only for the organization, but for them, is really the essence of good leadership. Yeah. Your company, Bates Communications, it's... It- you talk when and you advise CEOs and you executive coach. You develop communication competencies. You build confidence. How do you, in your experience and what you're seeing out there, what is the biggest challenge that people face on a communication level? You would assume that your CEOs and the people, the executives you're coaching, don't have a confidence problem. Do you see limiting beliefs and confidence problem with C-level type leadership out there today? Well, it's it's an interesting time in business right now, Richard. You know, business leaders, they're de-energized today. Yeah. Yeah. The complexity of the global marketplace, the speed of change, the enormous amount of information that's at our fingertips, as valuable as it is, it can create distractions. So, and companies, more importantly, have also pared back their workforce. So the teams that work for these leaders are typically themselves tired and they feel the strain and the pace of the world and they become disengaged. Um, so 
fun, you know, one of the first challenges that we see often in our business leaders is how do we re-engage these teams? How do we uh, marshal action consistent with the opportunities that we see in this new reset world? And how do we align them and communicate in a way that continues to drive them toward actions that make a difference in our competitiveness in this in this in this new uh, environment? So that's really uh, the primary challenge today. And how we teach that is, you know, it's, it's ironic as most things are uh, when when you're teaching leadership development, you have to slow down to speed up, right? Uh, think of the leaders that, that you have uh, uh, had the good fortune of, of learning from in your in your career in the military and, and elsewhere. Uh, these are people that must have taken time to center themselves, to recenter themselves, to step out of the fray for a moment, uh, to become reflective. We 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 teach a concept called metacognition, which is really learning about learning. Meta being learning, cognition being learning. Uh, learning about learning means thinking about experiences or a set of circumstances that uh, are similar in some way to what is happening around you uh, that you may have encountered in the past and reflecting in a way that helps you remember some of the important lessons, good or bad, from those experiences and then re-energizing yourself to realize that, okay, I can do this. I remember how I did this in the past, and I know how I should attack this now going forward. It's, 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 a, it's a matter of helping very bright people who are very competent, who are distracted and de-energized, re-energize themselves through introspection. So what advice would you have for, say, I don't know, maybe not even an executive mid-level. What about a junior level leader? Some middle, you know, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the leadership, the real leadership in an organization happens from the middle and below. What advice would you give to someone like that who is maybe doesn't have the best leadership, you know, chain up at the top? Maybe they're not seeing the best examples of leadership above them, and uh, but they're passionate about the company and what they're in and what they do. What best advice would you have for them? How How would you advise them to get that energy or, or, or start that high energy culture going or do they even ha- can they have an impact at that level oh definitely they can and uh, I'm glad you asked the question because uh, it's something that is a, a really important factor today particularly as the demographics shift from uh, the boomers to you know much younger leaders uh, who are in some ways you know mired in this you know this situation um, here's, here's what I would say fundamentally most important uh, to, to this group of people. Be careful not to extrapolate the current set of circumstances out into the indefinite future. A lot of the people that we work with at the mid-management level or, you know, the, 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 the low supervisor, supervisory levels uh, where people have been identified to have a great degree of potential uh, from a leadership perspective uh, is they tend to get, you know, mired in the idea that, you know, certain factors and circumstances are so egregious or uh, so uh, uh, working against where they're trying to take things or where they see things should go 
that they become uh, almost paralyzed. Uh, and, and really what I think uh, I would offer as a suggestion is you never know what you don't know. Yeah. So the important thing is to focus on what you can control Learn to become the best you can possibly become, and that's going to involve mistakes. It's going to involve consequences, uh, but it's going to uh, also result in growing as a leader. And as you grow as a leader, uh, not understanding where the path ahead will lead, uh, as long as you're being the best you can be and you're making an impact along the way and you're growing from what you're learning, both from successes and mistakes, then you're moving forward and you're creating a, a destiny for yourself that is much better than if you're sitting there complaining about being a victim or the circumstances that you can't control. Yeah. I think one thing, too, that I gathered from your book, and I'm a strong believer in, I've been in that situation a, a couple of times where you know, you felt like you didn't have an impact. And I think, number one, understanding yourself, understanding that you do have more impact than you give yourself credit for. But I think when you're in that situation too, I love how you talk about it in your book and uh, leading the high energy culture is pay, pay attention to the, uh, who the alpha dog is. And sometimes just because in title, sometimes the, the real leader in the organization isn't the one with the title. And I think if you find and you really look outside of yourself, who really has the authority and the ability, who is really influencing people in the organization and, I don't know, first and foremost, I think you observe and uh, but learn everything about why that person is the, the leader and influencer. I'm, maybe I'm stealing a little bit from your book. Am I on the right track? I mean, I, I am a firm believer of that. I've, I've done that myself, and um, I've had good results because of that, and it, and it helped in my own personal situation. Can you extrapolate on that? Oh, sure. What you're describing is experiential learning, and you're describing it from the perspective of pay careful attention to the alpha dogs. And you're absolutely right, Richard. In every organization, uh, if you look around, there are people uh, who are not necessarily uh, in a position of power. Uh, they may be. Uh, they may be as high as the CEO, uh, but they may not be. They may be simple peer leaders. They're the people that influence others, groups, uh, teams, uh, pieces of the organization uh, just by virtue of how they present themselves, how they carry themselves, how they command the room, how they listen, how they um, validate uh, people's opinions, how they, how they solicit opinions from others. Uh, a lot of business development in terms of leadership uh, comes from exploring what others do within the culture of an organization that makes them effective as leaders within that organization. And that's extremely important. And most of the time, pointing back to the book, uh, it, it, what you'll find is that the leaders who have the biggest impact, the alpha dogs with the biggest impact, whether or not they have the position authority or not, are the ones whose personal truths are most aligned with the organization's truths. They get it. They act in a way that is consistent with what the organization is about. Whole Foods is a perfect example. Wegmans. I like to use grocery businesses because they're very difficult businesses, very small margins. Yeah. So the standout in the grocery business means you're doing something very right. 
And, you know, Danny Wegman, who is the CEO of Wegmans uh, right now, uh, has, has uh, helped the culture uh, continue forward that his dad and his grandfather started uh, around the experience that is um, shopping in a grocery store. And he has so focused his effort and his behaviors around making that experience special. Uh, for the customers that come into his store, that the people within the organization have themselves become uh, uh, disciples of that whole philosophy. And there's leaders all throughout Wegmans, for instance, or Whole Foods, that are just energized and radiating that set of personal truths that are part of that culture, and they're influential because of that. You know, one thing in your book that found so... um and it's talking about in the, in the beginning where you're trying to really understand. I really appreciate how you were honest about, and I have four daughters, but you were talking about where you were driving with your son, Andrew. But share that story with us. I think it's so relevant. I remember bookmarking it, and you had this like kind of aha moment or this clarity of truth. Yeah, you know, I, I held that example up as one where my paradigms were shattered. Uh, and I and I chose that story, uh, this story that I'll tell, because uh, it was one of the most most powerful moments in 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 my parenting life, uh, and it it taught me something uh, you know very valuable that I've now uh, uh, taken and 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 lived with for the rest of my life. What what, what happened was you know I, I was a typical parent. I, you know, saw my children as uh, excellent in every way or potentially excellent in every way. And, and uh, our oldest child, Andrew, is uh, is someone uh, who, you know, in the Italian tradition is the, is the, uh, is the son, you know, the eldest son. So uh, I, I probably uh, held him uh, in 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 highest regard in in every way, and I was driving him to baseball practice, and it was uh, I think uh, his freshman year, and I had gotten his grades in the mail, uh, and he had done poorly in math, and uh, I was trying to you know contain myself and figure out how best to bring it up because I knew my son was a sensitive young man, uh, and he could. He could tell when I was angry. Uh, so uh, along the way to the practice field, <clears throat> I decided to tell Andrew that, hey, I got your report card today. And, um, you know, I, I was silent. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I was delighted to hear that, um, you know, many of your uh, teacher's comments were very positive. Uh, I said, but uh, I was disappointed in your math score. And there was silence. And I could feel the ire raising uh, because I was sure uh, that it was a function of him not um, working hard enough, Richard. Right. Uh, so I said to him something that I regret to this day. I said, Andrew, it's one of two things. Uh, either you are not as smart as I thought you were, or, or you just don't give a damn. And my son, with all his courage, I could see his chin quivering, uh, turned to me and said, Dad, it's A. I'm not as smart as you think I am. And what I learned later uh, was that, you know, he was struggling in math and that the teacher 
saw him as a very hardworking student, and uh, he was trying, uh, but uh, it wasn't going as well as, you know, obviously I, I would have hoped. Uh, but at the moment, the lesson for me was that, you know, I was laying what I saw and felt uh, I was a good math student personally uh, over him. And uh, that expectation uh, uh, was maybe beyond his capability, at least in this small regard. And it was um, destroying, in some way, uh, the ability, the relationship between him and I, and my ability to help him develop, not only as a, as a, as a math person, as a person good at math, but also in other ways, because yeah. it put a strain on our relationship. And I realized at that point that what's most important uh, as a parent is to uh, love our children unconditionally, um, to, you know, push them in ways that, you know, makes them better, uh, but to not necessarily expect that they're going to do things or be uh, what we uh, hope or expect uh, for them. Uh, they're, uh, they're their own people, and uh, we should allow that to happen. As you put in your book, I just found it here and I was reading it. It says, love them, listen to them, encourage them, but don't see them as you. And I thought that was so poignant that you wrote that. And you shared that story in part of, as you said, as it's important in, in, in your book, Leading the High Energy Culture, is you got to understand who you are and where you come from and what your personal truths are. And that's one of your, you share that story in one of your obligations, if you will. You have four obligations about you coming to grips with your identifying your own personal truths, right? That's what that that part yes. was about. And that that was a part that you story you shared an obligation clarifying through doubting. And so I thought it was great. I think it's, you know, it it says a lot of things to me about and it goes to the core fundamental of leadership is that even though they're, you know, if you're at a manager or whatever level, you know, you still got to love your people, listen to them, but don't see them as you. You got to see them as as each individual, but so you going back to the communication piece, I wrote a note down here. I wanted to go back. When you were talking about in the business of communication, you said that you say, you see that the things are challenging now because the, they get overwhelmed because of all the communication challenges. Were you talking more about the because of all the social media aspects or because it's a combination of a global economy and, and things happen so rapidly and – what is your strengths, and or what what do you see some of the challenges that that are faced with from a, te- a communication standpoint? Yeah, well, you know, things that are necessarily um, adding complexity to the challenge um, may also be good things. Uh, you know, social media is a good example. Um, you know, the generations that are the millennials uh, and Generation Y uh, and even X. Uh, you know, they're that's the way they communicate in, in many regards. And to leverage that uh, with the right message uh, and the right timing, uh, with the right audience, uh, and, and to do so in a way that you know, helps martial action and activity around a direction is, 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 is an opportunity that we have today from a communication perspective that we didn't have 10 years ago. So, uh, you know, it's it's the yin and yang of all of these factors, the, uh, the, the global uh, distance that is now really relevant to most businesses uh, of the size that we deal with, 
you know, trying to hold a, uh, a meeting uh, of uh, a group within a similar organization or function uh, that uh, has constituents in Europe and Southeast Asia and Australia and uh, South America and, and uh, you know, the United States is, is extremely difficult. So all of these things uh, add to the complexity around communication, but the, but the, but the fundamental uh, aspects of communication that uh, can transcend these complexities and, in fact, really um, leverage these things in a way that gives an organization a competitive advantage uh, all begin at the leadership level and all begin at the leadership level at the very top of organizations. Uh, so the greater that you can simplify the message, the greater that you can um, cascade the message uh, and convey the message in a way that is authentic and genuine uh, and powerful because of its simplicity and repeat it in the right forums at the right times uh, with people who understand who you are as a leader so that they're compelled to act uh, in, in a way that's consistent with the message and really what's at the core of what you believe as a leader is really um, a competitive advantage today because of all of the complexities that make this such a difficult task today versus 10 years ago. Well, I think you hit a key there is how do you make it simple? I mean, it's a lot of work to make something simple. Um, yeah, so how, how do we do that? How do we, how do we simplify the message? Well, that's, that's, that's the $100,000 question. I right. think it's attributable to Mark Twain that he once said, I would have, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, I think, you know, here, here's the secret, Richard. The secret to simplicity is preparation yep. and hard work yep. uh, and refining. You yep. know, uh, Will Smith, the actor, says the difference between uh, talent and skill is an extraordinary work ethic. Yeah. And, and what, what I mean by that is communication in its most effective forms uh, meaning simplicity takes really, really hard work. Steve Jobs, uh, you know, when he was at his best and he would launch a new product, uh, it appeared as though it was the most simply uh, uh, stated uh, way uh, to launch something that is so powerful that it felt like it was probably something they scribbled on the back of a, you know, a, 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 an envelope and, and figured out five minutes before you know, the event took place, but the reality of the situation is uh, every word, you know, every sentence, every uh, nuance uh, was planned out and repeated and tested and felt and, and thought through and practiced in a way that the ultimate final product was what we just described, but it was born of a lot of work. Yeah. And that's really the difference. Yeah. I agree. It's difficult to write, especially if you're right. And, you know, and you brought up Mark Twain, but we all know when you're trying to write something, it's so difficult to get it. You know, you, you just you just throw tons of words on there, and he's like, "Yeah, the simplicity. It's so difficult. It's a lot of work." Well, have you ever heard of Ed, Edward Everett? Edward Everett. I don't think I have. Maybe I have. Well, he was he was the keynote speaker at the Gettysburg Address. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the example. Yeah, you're right. Go ahead. Yeah, and he spoke for two and a half hours. That's right. 
and no one remembers him nor what he said. That's right. And I, I think Lincoln's speech was, what, three and a half minutes? Yeah. And it's the most uh, remembered and pointed to uh, speech of all time. Yeah, that's a great example. Uh, so that's the power of simplicity. Yeah. Well, David, where can they find you? Well, um, www.bates-communications.com and uh, look for my book, uh, Leading the High Energy Culture, on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. And uh, my email address is dcasulo at bates-communications.com, and I'd love to hear from you. David, it's been so much fun talking to you about leadership today. There's, I'd like to have you back on the show in the future. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I, I thank you for this opportunity. I hope your listeners gained something from it, and uh, I'm excited to, to continue the conversation. All right, David, thanks for giving us a dose today. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.